into the book of Psalms, or excuse me, I don't know where that came from, to the Gospel of Mark. I was doing some reading in Psalms, and evidently it's still stuck there in my head. And so as we stand, as we give reverence to the reading of the Word of God, again, thank you for allowing my wife and I to go to Denny Fountain's funeral. He pastored about as long as my wife and I have been in the ministry. Uh, we met both uh, he and his wife uh, way back in 1978. They were pastoring a little church there in Kent, Washington. We were starting Bible Baptist Church. They invited us out to lunch. Denny grew up in Riverside, California, attended uh, uh, Ramona High. I attended Norda Vista High. So we were about the same age. He's my wife's age. I'm about a little older than my wife. I won't tell you how much older, but a little older. And uh, so anyway, uh, when I met them in Washington, we had a lot in common. His father, his grandfather, uh, Dr. Dennis Brown, uh, was the founder of Riverside Baptist Temple, and he was members there for years. That's the church that I was sent out of. And so we grew to be great friends down through the years. And I was a little jealous thinking when I got there that I was his best friend. I come to find out he had hundreds of best friends. <laughs> and so it well attended, probably looked 1,500 or so at the funeral service. He was just a kind of a guy that uh, when six foot five, 280 pounds or whatever, big broad shoulders, when he walked into the room, you knew he was in the room. <laughs> and he was just he was so friendly, and he just loved people. He loved to win souls. And, uh, and my wife and I felt like we were at a revival meeting, not at a funeral meeting, as we heard all the testimonies of the lives that he had impacted and influenced. We're going to be reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning at verse number 28. We'll read down to verse number 40. I will pray, and then we have three thoughts I want to share with you. In verse number 28, one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. 
Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say that the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogue, and of the uppermost rooms of the feast, which devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So when we moved into Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, we looked at the parable of the vineyard. And, of course, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Herodians and the Sadducees understood that Jesus was speaking about them and their leadership and about the nation. And they were quite offended at what Christ had to say concerning the leadership that was in the nation of Israel and what the outcome of that nation would be. And so they took an offense to that. And they sought ways that they might trip him up. And so they come across with a series of questions while he's meeting with his disciples and the multitude of people. They're asking him questions that they may entrap him. So the Herodians first tried, and then the Pharisees, and then the Sadducees. And none of them were successful. And then we come along with the scribes. Now, Scribes were both scribes and Pharisees. Not all Pharisees were scribes, but all scribes were Pharisees. And Pharisees were those that were the most acclaimed. They were the most intelligent. They were the most astute in the Word of God because they were considered to be the lawyers. Uh, They were responsible for transcribing uh, the Word of God from one manuscript to another manuscript, says the scrolls would wear out or whatever. Uh, They were also uh, very knowledgeable in the word. It was required of them, and most of them were schooled by men like Gamaliel that was considered to be a tremendous scholar, and they were scholars in the word of God. They understood the Bible very well. They were very well indoctrinated in all the teachings of the Bible, not only within the Torah, but also in the Talmud, the oral law and the traditions. And so they took great knowledge and great pride in their knowledge. And so they were trying their best. This one particular tribe was trying his best to entrap the Lord Jesus Christ. These that were respected by the community because they were the ones that performed the weddings. They were the ones that wrote up the documents and signed all the legal documents. They were considered the best of the lawyers. And so now they're taking their hand at trying their best to entrap Jesus 
And I'm sure they thought long and hard about what question that they would ask him. And so they came up with this question. And Jesus Christ had made it very clear that he is God incarnate in human flesh. He had stated many times that he is the I am. He stated, as they heard him, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For my Father which gave them to me is greater than all. And who is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand? For I and my Father are one. And so they came back with the question, how can you say such a thing? Are you saying you are one with God? And Jesus went on to, uh, to defend his deity, to his identity as to who he truly is, the very begotten of the Son of God, his Father, the Heavenly Father. And so... They took up stones to stone him, we are told in John's Gospel, chapter 10. And he asked in verse number 31, for what good work do you stone me? And they said, not for the good works, but for blasphemy, because you being a man maketh thyself to be God. And so <clears throat> they wanted to entrap him. The first commandment that we have that was given to Moses on the mount was that uh, you're to have no other gods before me. And so they thought that they might somehow, perhaps that was their reasoning, but this one particular scribe understood what Jesus was teaching. And he wanted to hear Jesus clearly state that there is only one Lord. And since Jesus was going about saying that he is that one Lord, they felt that they could very well entrap him. Jesus makes the argument as they continue on that even uh, David, your king, for which they had great respect for and honor because they had studied him well, for David wrote most of the Psalms, and David had prophesied in Psalms 110 in verse number 1 that God's Son would be called Lord, and Jesus Christ is that Son. He is the Adoniah. His heavenly Father is the Yahweh. And so we have both lords sitting on the throne and both lords ruling and reigning, and yet we have one God. And so he questioned them, and they were confused, and they did not quite know how to answer that question. So Jesus <clears throat> comes back with the question, Hear, O Israel. This was the call of attention to the Jewish people. And God wanted to make it very clear to Moses and all the people of Israel that there is only one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so this scribe was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it goes on to say, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, 
Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou shalt, when you sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And then later on, uh, the Lord added over in Exodus, uh, that, uh, or Leviticus, that we are to love our neighbor likewise. Jesus made it very clear that upon uh, these passages of Scripture, all the Old Testament and the New Testament, the entire Word of God hangs on those two commandments. The commandment to love God, a monotheistic God, just one God. We're to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. And then we're to love our fellow man who was created in the image and the likeness of this one God with all of our soul, with all of our might. For all the Bible is written upon those two laws. When you study the Ten Commandments, we have five in reference to our relationship to Almighty God and five in relationship to mankind who is created in His image and His likeness. And so they were seeking to entrap him on the doctrine of monotheism because he kept declaring that he is the I am, that he is the only begotten of the Son of God, that he is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by him, that if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And so he went on to declare time and time again that he is God. And, and many times uh, they confronted him on this issue. So now they want to nip it in the bud. For they understand, now wait a minute. God is in heaven. You're a man here upon the earth. And he rules over the heavens. He created the heavens and the earth. You're nothing more than a man. How could you be God? All throughout the Old Testament scripture, we are told that there is one Lord. We're told that in Isaiah chapter 37, verse number 16, verse number 26, Isaiah 44, and verse number 8. God makes it very clear. There is none other besides me. I've searched the heavens far and wide, and I have found none. There is none but me. He made it very clear, according to Psalms 83 and verse number 18. I alone, and there is no other but I, the one Lord, and only the one Lord. I have created all things. So the scripture 34 times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament declares that there is a monotheistic God, that there is only one Lord. Isaiah says it very well. And very famous for the way he says it. In Isaiah 45 and verse number 5, the Lord through the prophet Isaiah says, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God besides me. I girded thee through, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is none else. He went on to declare that he created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He breathed into man the breath of life. 
And all things that exist and all things that are, are by God. And then we have uh, what is said in the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were created by the Word, and without the Word was nothing created. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld Him as the only begotten of the Son of God. The only begotten of the Heavenly Father. Excuse me, but they understood. And so they sought to entrap the Lord Jesus Christ. They were very knowledgeable in this doctrine. They held true to this doctrine. And so they under, the Jews understood, understood declaring to Jesus what they believed. And Jesus was declaring to, to these Jews his true identity. He made no bones about it. He, he made it very clear. And these were not ignorant. These were not unlearned. They understood what Jesus was saying. I remember some time back ago, a couple uh, women knocked at our door. One was a grandmother, and the other was her young teenage daughter, or I should say a couple ladies. We, I was pastoring there in Puyallup, Washington at that time, and, and uh, usually I just in a kind sort of a way, shut the door in their face. But I saw that teenage girl standing next to her grandmother, and my heart was smitten. Here's a girl that's being raised up in a cult that does not believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate in human flesh. And so I explained to her that I was a pastor of Bible Baptist Church, and I thanked them for their concern for the souls of men and women. But I said, you know, you're not helping anyone unless you believe the true identity of who Jesus Christ is. And she went on to explain to me that she believed that he is the Son of God, but he is not God. And I said, oh, but ma'am, you're wrong. And so I went on to quote scriptures and had uh, no bearing upon her. So then I finally asked this one question, a question I usually like to bring at, uh, somewhere in the discussion. Then, are you wiser? Do you understand the Bible better than the scribes and the Sadducees, the Pharisees? I say, you understand scribes were very knowledgeable in the Word of God. Now, these were the leaders of Israel. They understood the Bible. Most of them had to memorize the entire Pentateuch before uh, they could, could ever consider holding a position in, as a scribal office. And they understood what Jesus said. And they took up stones to stone him. And Jesus asked the question, well, what good work do you stone me for? And they said, not for any good work, but because you, being a man, maketh thyself to be God. So we stone you for blasphemy. I said, all three Gospels are very clear at the judgment that Christ was pronounced upon him for being a man declaring himself to be God and therefore he is guilty of blasphemy and under the law of Moses he is to be stoned. But rather than stoning, they sought to crucify him. And so they turned him over to the Romans to be fulfilled by scripture. And so they understood that they were crucifying him for the sin of blasphemy because he being a man was guilty of declaring himself to be God. 
Now, why is it that they didn't understand, but you understand? Can you answer that question? Can you tell me why that they understood what Jesus was saying and you don't? And they, every time I run into a situation like that, they pack up and start leaving. Years ago, I was asked to get into a, a debate. We had one of our deacons where some Jehovah Witnesses came to his home and they began to debate with him. They got him all tripped up over the word and he kept explaining, well, I know what I believe. I just don't know my Bible that well. And he said, but if my pastor was here, he could help. He could show you. And he said, well, invite your pastor to come. And so he called me, and I said, well, I can't come today. I can come tomorrow. And about what time? So we set up a time, and so I, I came. And so they had their, their head theological doctorate uh, professor Whatever else they wanted to tag on him, they brought him along. He brought his suitcase with all of his material and everything. And he was going to prove to me that our doctrine is wrong on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, well, in order to establish this argument, there are two things that we're going to debate over. First of all, the identity of who Jesus declared himself to be and the scriptural references that we understand based on the King James Bible for what they say. So we're not going to use your Bible. We're going to use my Bible. Amen. If you're not willing to agree to that, then forget it. And they said, well, no, we, we can agree to that. At the end of the argument, they got up and walked out. Amen. I said, wait a minute. Why are you walking out? We're not, the argument's not through. The debate's not through. I have plenty more scripture that I want to share with you. And they continue to walk out. I followed them to their car. I said, listen, you're denying the truth. You're running from the truth. You're walking away from the truth. You have no answer. The argument was lost. You understand it's lost. Why are you holding on to this doctrine? And they drove off while I said, wait a minute, I want to pray with you. My wife and I, when we were up in Snohomish a few years ago on vacation, or five years ago, there were a couple ladies that had their tables set up. We ran in the same situation. There were people gathering around. They were listening to what they were saying. I stepped in. I started asking some questions. They couldn't answer the questions. We got to that subject I'm just talking to you about. You can ask my wife. They packed up everything. They folded up their table, and they walked away. Jesus Christ is God incarnate in human flesh. If you do not believe that, then there's a greater damnation that's going to come upon you for hearing the truth and rejecting the truth. And Jesus Christ in many ways had proved that he is the Son of God. And Jesus understood this young scribe here was getting very close to the truth, but he wasn't there yet. Because he wasn't there ready to admit that Jesus is the Christ. They crucified him for blasphemy for he declaring his true identity. The Bible in Leviticus 24 and verse number 16 makes it very clear that he was to be stoned, but they didn't want to stone him. So the scriptures were fulfilled that he would be pierced through he was pierced through for us so that we could be his bond slaves. 
Anytime someone was pierced back in the Old Testament times, if you decided that you didn't want to leave your master, they would pierce through your ear, that piercing, and the ring they put in that ear was an indication that you were going to be his bond slave forever. Jesus Christ was pierced, pierced through for us. He went to a cross and he became the slave for you. There upon the cross, he bore your sins. He took your place. Why would we not want to be his bond slaves? Why would we not want to serve him? If he is the son of God, if he is God incarnate in human flesh, if he truly was pierced through for our sins and his piercings and his shed blood makes a difference and when we see him as the lamb slain and we understand that that was the lamb that had to be offered up for our sins, then why would we not want to worship him? Why would we not want to praise him? There's only one that can wash away your sins. There's only one that can deal with your sins. There's only one that can die for your sins and then take up his life and raise it up again, and that's God. The scribes understood, and they were very angry every time that Jesus said, I am the way. When he said, I am the truth. When he said that I am the door that I am the good shepherd, that I am the vine, that I am the light of the world. I am the life. They understood that through the Lord Jesus Christ is life, and apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no life. We must put our faith in Him. A man who dies without the Lord Jesus Christ His body is buried, but his soul is awake forever in a place called hell. And once he's removed from hell, he goes into a lake of fire. Can you imagine your body asleep in the grave and your soul awake and dying and burning forever in a place called hell? Dying meaning that you are now separated from God for all of eternity. The one who is the light of the world, the one who is the life of your life, who you have rejected and your sins have separated between you and your God and He went to a cross to deliver you from that plight and you have rejected Him. The greater damnation is because they had heard time and time and time again but they refused to believe. You see, it's very important if we want to enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus said to this scribe, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Amen. It's interesting that Christ would respond in that way. Because Jesus knew what was in his heart. He was asking the question. Because he understood what Jesus was saying. He understood that Jesus was saying that he is God. He understood if Jesus is God, then we have responsibility to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. If we understand that he is God, and if we truly know him, that is God. He went on and made the comment, you know, there's no sacrifices. There's nothing that I could ever offer up that would be greater than this commandment. To understand that God is God And to understand 
that I am to love him with all my heart and with all my soul and with all of my might. And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. There's so many people that come close. They sit in the pew, they hear it, but they never fully receive it. There's something, some little notch there that keeps them from coming to that full understanding. We must come to that place to where we not only believe that he is God, but we receive him as the God of our life. Once he becomes the God of our life, then he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He puts his love in our hearts for him. It's not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. And we've realized that experience of his love that permeates our heart and our lives. Jesus said it, or John said it well in 1 John 4 and verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, and it is God who first loved us. So therefore we can't help but love him back. Do you know him? Have you experienced that first love that came into your heart? You realized the moment that he came in that for some strange reason, you understood your sins were no longer there. You felt clean inside. You felt as though God had given to you a spiritual bath and all the sins were washed away. And there was rejoicing in your heart because you no longer saw yourself for what you once were. But you now see yourself as a brand new creation in Christ. Have you ever experienced that? You see, this young scribe was coming close to that. You see, in order for us to be saved, we must first of all believe who Jesus Christ is. You cannot get to heaven apart from Just believing, you must understand that He is God. You cannot say, well, I think He may be the Son of God. I believe that He is a good prophet. I believe that He's the Savior of the world, but I don't think that He's God. The Mormons believe that He is the Savior of the world, but they don't believe that He is God. Jehovah Witnesses believe that He's the Savior of the world, but they don't believe that He is God. You see, it's very important that you believe that He is God. Hear, O Israel, there is only one Lord. And besides Him, there is none other. If Jesus Christ is not God, He is not Savior. If Jesus Christ is not God, He cannot help you. Once we truly trust Christ with salvation, we then have a love for God. According to 1 John chapter 4, verse number 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God so permeates your heart and your life that you're no longer fearful of dying. Death has no grip on you. Death brings no fear to your heart and your soul. You're not threatened with death. You cannot be threatened with death because you know that you have life living in you. You know that you have eternal life living in you. And you know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so how can you be threatened with heaven? Do you have that understanding? You know, I used to be troubled at the thought of God. I was fearful at the thought of God. I thought, well, boy, if there is a God, I'm in trouble because I know my good works aren't going to outweigh the bad. <laughs> I had no idea where I came up with that, but I always thought that, and by the way, we'll talk about that tonight, found wanting in the balances. There's only one that can balance out the scales, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Once I put my faith in Him, then I understood that it was all balanced out through faith and mercy, grace and love. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and through His, through His wonderful grace, He has shown mercy unto me. Grace is you and I getting what we do not deserve. So we understand it's unmerited favor. There's nothing I could do to earn it. Mercy is you not getting what you do deserve. I don't deserve what Christ did for me on the cross. I don't deserve Him going to the cross and dying for my sins. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve His, His acceptance of me. But because of His mercy, I'm not getting what I do deserve. And through the grace of God, He has poured out unmerited favor upon me. And so I have mercy and grace over here and I have the Lord Jesus Christ over there and I put my faith in that and it all balances out and the Heavenly Father says, you're okay. Amen. But without Jesus Christ, there is no mercy and grace. And the scale is always going to the favor of hell. Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Once we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't help but love God. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Leviticus 19.18 Thou shalt not avenge nor bear grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. There are several reasons why a believer who is truly saved should never hate or avenge his fellow brother. Number one, because of his testimony of being born of God. The Bible makes it very clear that when we love God, we can't help but love our fellow brother. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now, if you don't understand the language, it's just simple. If you can't love the one who gave you salvation, then how can you love those for which they have received salvation? 
when we love the one who saved us and his love permeates our life, we can't help but love those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're our fellow brother in Christ. We're not going to hate them. We're not going to despise them. We're not going to reject them because they're family. There's something about family that keeps us together. There have been times that my brothers and sisters have fallen out with me, but you know, blood is thicker than water. And the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than the water of this world. And when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed your life, then you become a brother. And God gives to us a special love for each other. The second reason is the testimony that you are the children of your heavenly Father which is in heaven. When your love does not exceed the love of the lost, that says something's wrong with your love. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse number 43 through 48, You have heard that it had been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good unto them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans or the heathens the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Jesus Christ loved the whole world. He loved those that were persecuting Him. He loved those that were casting all kinds of wicked words at Him. He loved those that were spitting upon Him. He loved those that took the whip and brought it across His back. He loved them so much that He died on the cross for their sins. His heart was broken over them. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not are we to love our brother in Christ, but we're to love the world that is lost. People that are going to hell, our souls need to be spitting and spitting and concerned for them. To think when we look at them in the eyes that one day their eyes are going to be in a place of torment. Their souls are going to be awakened in a place called hell. And so we must have a love for their souls and a concern for their destiny. And if we can't do more than what the lost people do for each other, then where is the love of God? And then thirdly, we see that if we don't do this, it's a testimony against the commandments of God's Word. If we hate and devour one another. We read in 1 John 4 and verse number 20 and 21, If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. I said that one time, or I read that, and I had one guy, he was full of hate, and he walked out of the back door of the church while we were shaking hands, or maybe it was the front door. But anyway, it was the back of the podium. And he said, you don't know how close I come to busting you in the mouth when I walk by, when I went to visit him in his home. I said, why? And he said, because you called me a liar. I said, what do you mean I called you a liar? He said, well, there are a lot of people out there I have it in for. They did me wrong. They're my enemy, and I hate them. I despise them. 
And you said, if I have hate for them, I'm a liar if I say I love God. Well, I love God, but I hate them. And you call me a liar. And I said, I didn't call you a liar. God called you a liar. Sometimes they don't want to hear the truth. How can you say you have the love of God in you and you're so filled with bitterness and hate you see another brother walking on the other side of the street. You decide, wait, I'm not crossing over there because he's over there. Pull in a parking lot and you see someone going in a grocery store and you turn around and go somewhere else because I don't want to bump into him. Where's the love of Christ in all that? You know, we see that going all the time. All the time. I, you know, and what about pastors? I've had people leave our church and I'm no longer Pastor Nolan, but Nolan over there. Oh, that Nolan over there. Or they start referring to the people by their last name. It used to be brother, but now it's just by their last name. Because they're bitterness and hate. You know, God sees that. When, when God sees that, guess what happens? You fail in the grace of God. The Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail in the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Say, so where is that at? Hebrews 12, verse number 15. We are to love one another and forgive one another, even as Christ loved us and forgave us. Jesus made it very clear that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, we'll love one another. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother. Let me just say in closing the greater condemnation or the greater damnation. Notice Jesus said, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing. They love salutations in the marketplace. They love to sit in the chief seats in the synagogue, in the uppermost rooms of the feast. They devour widows' houses. For a pretense, they make long prayers. These shall receive a greater damnation. You know, I see a lot of religiosity there. I see a world filled with religion. I see a world out there that really hates the doctrine of Christ. We have churches today that no longer preach all the doctrine of Jesus. They pick and choose what they want. Uh, they really don't care for the poor to come in. You have some homeless person come in. They turn them away. They turn their nose up at them. They come in with their, with their $2,000 suits and $40,000, $50,000 worth of jewelry on their hands and or on their fingers and around their necks. And they drive in their Mercedes and, and their Cadillacs and... They're BMWs and they're Maseratis and, you know, and they, they want to, to be praised of men. Their church is full of people like that. They have no interest in getting out the gospel. You know, and they're full of all this religiosity. They're all full of pride. They're full of hypocrisy and greed. And yet they have the Bible there, but they tend to ignore much of it. And that's exactly what was going on here with this religious crowd. And Jesus said they're going to have the greater damnation. Don't be a pretender. Don't live the life of an actor.
That's what a hypocrite was. I mean, we, it's got a stigma upon it, but one time a hypocrite was an actor. Stop pretending. Be real. Let Christ have the throne of your life. If you truly believe that he is God, then make him. Give to him. Humble yourself before him. And from a sincere heart, ask him to be the Lord of your life with every head bowed. Either he is Lord or you are Lord. Most that refuse to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life is because they're too embraced to this old world. They're not willing to give up what this world has to offer. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. If there's more love for recreation, if there's no more love for things, if there's more love for the economy of this world than for the heavenly economy that God has to offer you, then, friend, the love of God is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The world passeth away the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is the will of God? To believe that He is God and to love, him, to love Him with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. And if you can do that, then He'll put that love in your heart for your neighbor. I wonder this morning with heads bowed, how many of you can say with absolute assurance, Preacher, He is the one and only God of my life. And he that is the one and only God of my life is Lord Jesus. He lives within my heart. His love is what gives me the motivation to serve him and to reach others. And I just lift up my hand so you, preacher, will know that this message, though it doesn't apply to me, Thank you for preaching. And how many of you can just say that with a raised hand in all sincerity and honesty? All right. Thank you. you may put those hands down. Now, I, I'm not trying to point anyone out, but there was a few of you that did not raise your hand. I do not know why. Maybe you didn't like the question. Maybe you're not voting. I don't know what the situation is. But if God is speaking to your heart, remember the greater damnation is to turn away from the truth and to remain in the condition that God is convicting you about. That would be a fearful thing. Can you imagine one day thinking you're saved and waking up in hell while your body is asleep in the grave and being tormented? knowing that 
there is no escape. Knowing that you are destined for a lake of fire that burns forever and ever. Friend, if you're not sure, if you're wrestling with your faith, if you, you don't have the confidence in knowing that Jesus Christ is God and He's the Savior of your soul and, and that He lives within your heart and He has permeated your life with His love and He convicts you and prods you to live for Him, then let us help you with that. Let us show you from the Bible how you can know Him, how you can receive Him as your Savior. Is there anyone like that this morning? Heads are bowed. God's people are praying. Friend, if that's you, would you at least let me pray for you about that? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm truly saved. Is there anyone like that this morning? Anyone? Let me just say this before we close. If you're sitting out there and you're saying, well, I just don't know if I want to admit to anything right now, would you at least do this? If you're not sure, would you ask Jesus Christ to help you? Would you pray something like this? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm not sure what I believe, but what the preacher has to say really made good sense to me. And so I'm asking you to be the one and only God of my life. I believe from my heart that you are truly the Lord. I'm asking you to save me, to forgive me of my sins, and take me to heaven when I die. For I call upon you, and I ask in a very humble way that you would just, in a very special way, make yourself known in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. I wonder if, if you prayed that prayer just now. Heads are bowed. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to do anything other than just ask you if you raised your, if you prayed that prayer just now, if you'd raise your hand just long enough for me to see. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, preacher. Thank you. I see that hand. Someone else? Anyone else? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask for those that are wrestling with their faith and those that are wanting in the balance, that you would give them that assurance, that your Holy Spirit would make known unto them your true identity as the true and living God, the one and only God. Help them to understand that there's none other. There's only one Savior and that He is the Savior of the world and He can be the Savior of their life. And give them that faith, that understanding. For we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. With heads bowed as our pianist plays, I'm going to ask you to stand. If anyone feels a need to come